can you just act normal? I've actually said that to my eight-year-old. It's, it's my way of hoping that I'm not embarrassed or frustrated by what she might say or do around other people. I mean, we all want our kids to behave, right? Well, what if they are, quote, being normal, and we're the one who actually needs to change? Becoming better parents, partners, and people, this is the Positively Dad Podcast. Thanks for joining us. I'm James Shaw, host of Positively Dad, and I'm so happy you're listening today. My wife, Terry, and I are the proud parents of an eight-year-old. Her name is Naomi. She's in second grade. In fact, she's going to join us at the end of the show for the Kids' Corner. And I started Positively Dad last year to be a resource to you because when you look around out there, there's a lot of stuff on parenting. It's just almost all for mom. There just aren't a lot of resources for dad. So I decided to change that, and it's been a great journey so far. So thank you. Thank you for being interested in your personal growth and for making Positively Dad a part of it. So let's talk about our kids. We're going to talk about our kids today and their behavior, their decision-making, and then how we're helping them or maybe even holding them back. You know, the days of, because I'm the dad, are over. Well, they, they should be, because the research shows that that style of parenting just doesn't work. Spanking, screaming, even the time out are out. So what do we do? How do we as parents teach our kids to grow into great people? How do we set the expectations with them of what's acceptable and what isn't? And how can we begin to move the stress of helping our kids grow up? Those are the answers that we intend to get today from our guest. Her name's Katherine Reynolds-Lewis. She's an author and journalist and a parent educator with the Parent Encouragement Program in Maryland. She wrote the book called The Good News About Bad Behavior, Why Kids Are Less Disciplined Than Ever, and what to do about it. Now, I want to make it clear that today is not about judgment. It is not about how you've raised your kids, what you've used to help teach them, what you've used for discipline, what you use for accountability. It's not about that. It's about asking, is the way we're parenting effective? And is there a better way? And Catherine knows. She's the parent of three. She's done all the research on it. And she has some ideas that can make everyone's life a little bit easier. So let's jump in and have the conversation. Catherine, thanks so much for joining us on Positively Dad. My pleasure. It's great to be here, James. Well, I'm happy to talk with you because this is a big deal. And I think we get a little bit confused about what the best way is to raise our kids. I think generationally there's been some changes and we've learned a lot. You know, we, for example, were never a spanking family. We were a timeout family. Then I learned that didn't work. And you've got some ideas on that. So I wanted to have you on. Um, where do you start when it comes to this? Like, you know, what's different now about, say, when you and I were growing up? Well, that is the question that really is at the center of the book that I wrote, The Good News About Bad Behavior. And I spent five years trying to understand what is going on with kids today. Um, it, you know, when I started having a family, you know, my youngest was really the first diaper I changed. Um, I hadn't had a lot of exposure to little kids. I spent my journalism career interacting with other adults. And I had heard about the, you know, terrible twos. I even knew you had this three major stage where kids get a little more sassy. But by four and five, I was sort of waiting. At what point do they just start doing what you want? <laughs> and that's when I really got curious. And um, my journalist brain came on and I started just reading research papers. I dug into the psychology, the neuroscience. I followed educators. 
And I came to the conclusion that it's not just our imagination, that it is harder to parent now because kids simply have more difficulty managing their thoughts, behavior, and emotions than in any other generation. And two big takeaways from my research that I always share, one is a National Institutes of Health study on kids behavioral and mental health. And they found that one in two will have a mood or behavioral disorder by age 18. Hmm. So this just blew me away. This yeah. means every other child in my kid's kindergarten class, by the time they get to 18, they're going to be managed some, managing something pretty significant, whether it's anxiety, depression, ADHD, substance issue, suicidality. And to me, that makes the case that we need totally different tools um, than we, maybe our parents or grandparents needed in the past. Um, and then when I share that statistic, other, often people say, well, how do you know it's different, right? Are we just really quick to slap a label on kids and say, you know, they have anxiety when really these same issues existed 20, 30 years ago and we just weren't as aware? Or maybe even we're better at, um, you know, knowing what's going on. And to that, I just say, look at the suicide rate. So suicide, according to the Center for Disease Control, right. suicide in kids 10 to 14 has nearly tripled in the past 10 years. It's gone up 76% for our teenagers. Right. And one of the researchers I followed for my book, Dennis Embry, says, you don't overdiagnose a dead body. Mm. So it's a really chilling statistic, and I'm not sharing it to fearmonger because I actually think we need a lot of courage. We don't need more fear right now right, in our right. society, yeah. but to make the case that we need new tools. Um, yeah. we, we can't just reach for the same old carrot and stick that a lot of us were raised with. We need tools that are backed by research and science that are tested in schools and homes across the country. And that's what my book focuses on. What are those strategies and tools? Um, and I followed four different models for teaching kids to manage their behavior, thoughts, and emotions, two in schools and two in homes. And there's a lot of really great, easy to start using um, strategies that a lot of parents are already doing. Good. So we're going to talk about some of them. And, and the thing about the, what you're talking about with suicide rate, we did a podcast on the number of attempts even has skyrocketed, right? So even if you just look at unsuccessful um, uh, suicide attempts, it's way up. That's a concern for any parent. And I would recommend that you, people, you should go listen to that. It's actually, uh, Catherine, it's our, it's our least listened to episode that I've ever done. And it might be one of the most important. So thank you for bringing it up. And it is, you're right, it's different growing up. And I think what we would scream is social media, social media, social media, right? That would be the problem. Is that what you found in the research is what's so different? Well, no, I mean, certainly that's a huge piece of our lives and our kids' lives, but um, it's an oversimplification to just blame it on Instagram, Snapchat, and TikTok. Actually, it's really funny. I'll just share. Last night, my kids and I were talking about how obsessed they are with TikTok, and someone misheard it my, and, and said, do you mean TED Talk? <laughs> no. I'm not trying to get my kids off of their TED Talk addiction, right? <laughs> that's um, funny. So a lot of our, you know, just a, a funny anecdote to share that we really also have a lot of great resources in our media age. But, um, you know, looking at um, the research, right, thinking about what kids need to build these social and emotional skills that are the foundation of self-control, self-regulation, mental health. You know, when, when um, 
when you look at the, the behavioral science and you look at the neuroscience, the things that our kids are missing are in, fall in three buckets. And uh, I write about them in detail in my book, but they fall generally into number one, play. So childhood play um, has almost disappeared. Kids are not just going out and playing from three o'clock until six, right? From when school gets out until when they're called in for dinner. They're in structured activities, they're in tutoring, they're in aftercare. Um, and a lot of the great aftercare programs let kids just play. So, so some kids are really getting that, you know, as long as the, the, the program isn't too structured. But um, that's how kids have always learned to, to, to self-regulate. When you fall down, scrape your knee, learn you don't melt, you aren't as scared of falling. When you get into a fight in your you know, neighborhood friend group and one kid leaves and refuses to come back, you figure out how to negotiate conflict. So we need to bring play back into childhood and it is the foundation of mental health, of social skills, of all of the soft skills that our kids will need. And in fact, you know, executive function, the set of skills that help our kids manage themselves, execute big projects, plan ahead, stay organized, all that good stuff, that is a stronger predictor of success in school and life and work than IQ. So we mm. need to throw away the flashcards, forget about Kumon, right? And instead, let our kids play. Give them opportunities to tinker, to mess around in the backyard, to get in fights with their friends and maybe even, you know, have a physical tussle. It's such an important piece of childhood. It's the All right. Way. So we got to let them play again, which they aren't doing because either they're in organized stuff or maybe they're just sitting at home on the tablet or who knows what. Right. Let's get our kids outside. And people have been saying that forever because we learn how to connect. What's another thing? So the second, of course, is social media and technology. And um, we need to understand there is a strong correlation between social media use, anxiety, depression, and yeah. attention problems. Mm -hmm. That does not necessarily mean causation, but we know when you take away social media, when you limit it, kids get better at recognizing facial expressions, at identifying emotions, at having empathy for other people. So parents need to have very healthy limits on social media and technology and to model healthy use yes. of that for our yeah. kids. Right, and we talked to Anna, Anna, uh, Anna Kemenitz about that from NPR and she did one for kids and then the other one she did Catherine was parents because we've got a role model the how to use technology as well right right and when we are mentally healthy when we can regulate ourselves we're just teaching our kids by example and Anya's amazing um we have the same book editor actually so oh good lucky in that okay. yeah she was a great guest absolutely great guest just like you are so that's awesome okay the third area what's it and the third area is that our kids are unemployed so they don't have household jobs, they don't have after school jobs, they don't have a way to really contribute and to matter to the people closest to them, whether that's their family, their neighborhood, their community, right? Their job is to perform and achieve. So we've made childhood about the straight A's, the soccer goal, the, you know, all these wonderful things, the art studio, the orchestra, which we want our kids to do. We want them to achieve and engage and, and be creative, but it has to be balanced by mattering and belonging to the people closest to us. Okay. So we as, I'm sorry, we as parents have to have a mindset shift then because we've, we think all these things that are, we've got to raise these really smart, genius, perfect people. And then I feel like too, probably on our social media pages, we want to look like the perfect family. So the mindset shift starts with us, right? Right. Yeah. 
we need to, I, and I think actually c coming back to what I started with, with fear, I think is really underlying a lot of parental behavior. We're worried about our kids missing out. We're worried about being judged that we're not the perfect parent. So we need to have confidence and courage that just connecting with our kids, giving them a healthy bedtime, you know, screen-free afternoon, those are gonna be more important things than putting them in the perfect tutoring program or getting them signed up for whatever activity that missing out on some of those opportunities is actually an opportunity for them to relax, de-stress, connect with family and friends. And, and fundamentally, those are gonna be more important. And I will also say, you know, those are the things that we can control. Um, there may also be some biological factor we really don't know about. And some of the rates that have increased are so alarming, you know, especially around autism and anxiety, that there may also be something environmental in our food or our water or our air that we don't know about. Um, or it could be as simple as sleep. We, we as a society sleep one minute less per year for the last century. So over the last century, we have lost an hour and a half of sleep, and it's true of our kids as well. So we all know sleep deprivation amps up all those things, depression, anxiety, attention problems, cognitive problems, um, you know, even obesity is linked to sleep deprivation. So sort of going back to the basics, healthy sleep, good bedtimes, connection, outdoor time and play, um, and a sense of responsibility in the family and community, those are going to be more important for our kids than a lot of these extras that cost money, right, that we feel pressured to give our kids um, in this day and age. And you're probably talking really about all age groups. I mean, this is just as you raising your kids want to have these concepts in mind, right? Oh, right. From the very earliest ages, as soon as your kid says, I do it myself, teach them how to chop some fruit for their snack or, you know, help them help, you know, help that around the house with the broom. And it's, it's those early instincts for uh, power and contribution that our three and four year olds display. And we tamp them down. We're like, oh, no, no, no. Let mommy do it. Let daddy do it. We, uh, we know best. We'll be faster and cleaner and safer. And then at eight, we wonder why they won't help us take out the trash, right? We need to start at those very earliest ages or even at eight or nine or 15, reintroduce it. Say, you know, I've been kind of a control freak. I haven't let you help around the house. Why don't we change a tire together on the bike? Or why don't, what would you like to learn to do? and bring it back into their lives so they can really feel that sense of contribution. You know, and I love the example you gave of even just having them help out cut the strawberries because the, there's research that says that if kids help in the kitchen, especially at a young age, they're more likely to eat different foods. So we're not always going, we're, I, I, there are many families I know that they make the parent meal and then they make the kid meal every day. Yeah. We, we've never done that just because Naomi's always been into being in the kitchen. And I think that she eats that stuff because she makes it. So that kind of as a side thing, the example you gave could have some other benefits too. Oh, yeah. Now, here's the thing that's on my mind now is that, okay, we're still parents and we still have an expectation as to how we're going to behave in our home and what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. And we're, you're saying that the research is going, kids are more likely to have challenges with behavior now than ever. So how do we as parents kind of, I don't know if regulates the right word and yet regulate expected behavior in our home? What's the best way? Yes. So my research over the five years I spent reporting the good news about bad behavior found that all of these models for teaching kids uh, to control themselves have three things in common. Number one is connection with a caring adult, whether it's a parent or a teacher. Number two is communicating in ways that strengthen self-regulation. And the third is 
um, contribution and, and capability building. So seeing our kids and giving them opportunities to grow and learn and evolve. And underlying those all is that mindset shift that we talked about earlier, that my job as a parent is not to make you a perfect specimen of childhood, right? My job is to just nudge you on that path ever upwards, ever more capable, ever more independent by balancing the responsibilities I expect you to take on with the privileges and freedom that you get. And that's really the formula for us as parents with rule setting is, yes, I want you to have that cell phone. Why don't you show me, why don't we talk about what you need to demonstrate as responsibility to be ready for that privilege? So um, for when my kids wanted a dog, we talked about, okay, what do puppies do? They chew up loose items. So sneakers or homework or papers or backpacks left around are going to be chewed up by the dog. So for 90 days before we could agree to get a dog, they had to keep the floors clean, their stuff put away. You know, it's very related to the goal that they wanted to achieve. So whenever we are looking at a problem in our household, we're not saying the problem's our kid, right? That they're messy or disorganized or thoughtless or careless. The problem is they need to learn. They need to learn how to take care of their belongings, how to be considerate of others. So we wanna set up limits and routines that will enforce and reinforce that skill we want them to learn. And when, it, when we have this skill focus, as opposed to a bad kid, good kid focus, then we are really working collaboratively with our kids to find that solution. And so our, um, our house is covered with signs, um, our screen rules, our bedtime rules, all of these agreements came out of that process of talking to our kids about how to solve a problem. Do they help you kind of come up with the rules or the expectations when you sit down and we're, you're working together with them? Or do you and your, and your husband sit and say, hey, here's the expectations? How does that work? 100%. They sit down with us because if they're not part of the discussion, they are not going to be especially cooperative. And that's the whole shift from the old way. So the old way is the carrot and stick reward or punishment. I'm more powerful, so I force you to do what I want. I'm the parent and I'm in charge, right? And that model does not grow responsible kids. That model grows power-hungry children who have learned the most important thing is to be bigger, to be louder, to force someone else to do what you want. And so you're going to have a lot of power struggles in your house with that model. Or you're going to have a child who's shoving their feelings and their opinions inside. And that is a recipe for right. uh, bad news. Right. Yeah. So instead, we have a model where we are a family and we work together. We all have responsibilities. The parents' responsibilities are bigger. You know, we've put food on the table. We, you know, plan the schedule. We do all this big stuff. But by the time you're 18, we want you to be able to do all those things. So your childhood from, you know, zero or maybe like three or two or three, realistically, from, if, until 18, is learning all of those skills and, and finding ways to work together. So all of our family rules and routines um, deal, you know, come out of that process. And we have a weekly family meeting. We will have problem-solving conversations if you can't wait to the family meeting. And uh, the one exception is health and safety. So if something is extremely dangerous to our kids, we're not going to watch them running out into traffic and say, we're going to put that on the family meeting agenda to discuss, <laughs> you know, right. we're going to grab them by the hand, right? That's the situation for a stick <laughs> or not right but, you know, for a parent to step in. Right. Well, at the end of the day, you are the mom and dad. And so you do have responsibilities as a parent. And so that's why I want to I ask you about it, because I think there might be some people listening going, well, hold up. I mean, I am the dad. Right. 
Right. So, you know, I do have a bigger say in what happens in our house. And I don't think you're taking that away. And I also don't hear that there's like a ton of negotiation going involved. It's just that we're getting buy-in and agreement with our kids. Is that basically it? Yeah, I mean, I think that as your kids are get older, there is more negotiation and less uh, parental um, say-so because um, when you have them coming up with the ideas, they're gonna go, they're gonna stick to them. And you will find if you ask your kids um, what should the consequence for violating this agreement be, they will often suggest something more extreme than you yes. would. Have. True. Have yeah. a really good sense of proportion or time, you know. So then you can be the good guy and say, "Oh no, losing your iPad for three months is just too." <laughs> yes. Let's just have the consequence be missing one day. Okay? I laugh at that because that's happened in this house. Yeah. You know. Okay. So what should happen now that blah 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 happened? I remember, she said, uh, "No TV for a month." Right. And um, I thought, honey, that doesn't no. No, no, no. That's, that's way beyond what we need to do here. Yeah, so that's good. So they're learning some stuff and then everybody wins. Okay, so I'm going to ask you about this because you say it in the book is that all the ways that we were disciplined growing up are out. That's screaming, uh, hitting, which is what spank, uh, some people will call it spanking. It's, it's hitting. Um, timeouts, which was, you know, I mean, that's what we did. Behavior charts, my goodness, I would like those banded schools. That's my personal opinion. Um, those are out. Why? Because they all fall into that reward punishment rubric. So they're not teaching our kids any skills. They're teaching them that we're in charge. And when you are in charge, you punish and you cause pain, right? And, um, and that's really, really bad for our relationship with our kids. And it's also bad for their mental health. There's really scary research around the impact of parental criticism and negativity on kids' mental health. And um, anyone with a spouse or parent who is extremely critical is more likely to relapse into an eating disorder, an eating disorder depression, schizophrenia. There's fascinating research by Jill Hooley at Harvard around this that even just hearing those negative comments really um, harms our brain in that moment. We become more, more depressive, more likely to fall into negative thinking patterns. So it's a big shift, right? Often you walk into a room and you feel like your job as a parent is, okay, your mouth is dirty, you need to wash it. This is wrong, we need to fix it. So we're kind of primed to look for problems and solve them. And we need to just really counter that in our own brains by saying, what are the ways I can recognize my child's growth? How can I notice the positive things that they're doing? And as part of our family meeting, we have an appreciation um, go round where everyone in the family says something specific that the other person did for them that they really appreciate. And that builds this culture of gratitude, of looking for the positive. And we know that that's so powerful in building our kids' resilience and their resistance to mental illness. So um, I know it's hard and it doesn't mean if you yell at your kid one time or even if you don't swat them on the the rear once um that you that that's not recoverable from right we can always apologize and model how to take responsibility for a mistake like i'm really sorry i lost it i yelled at you i sent you to your room that's not how i want our conflicts to go can we find a better way in the future and we can always reconcile and recover from those kind of mistakes and that's also a really good thing for our kids to see that we are imperfect and we can grow and change so that gives them hope that they can also evolve can you tell us about your family meeting, what it looks like, and how awkward it was when you started it? 
<laughs> yeah, so, so you start the family meeting with appreciation. So I will say I really appreciated that Ava helped me make snacks for my book group um, last night because it, it, I did not have time to get ready. And when they arrived, there were these beautiful platters of cheese and crackers, and they were all so thankful. That really helped me out. And then the kids appreciate each other. And at first, this sounds like I really appreciate Samantha was not so annoying this week, right? Or they'll say, I appreciate mom for, you know, packing my lunch or whatever little things. But as you do it more and more, then they really start to grow this culture of gratitude. Next step is old business. So you review the last week's agenda, the new agreements and rules you put in place. How are they going? Do we need to tweak them? Are the consequences working? And that's a really important step to just, not everything we come up with is going to work perfectly, but we can adjust and, and evolve. And then the, the next step is new business. And when you start a family meeting, begin with the child's complaints because then they will come to the table, right? It's whether they want more screen rules, they want a later bedtime, they want to have a sleepover, solve their problems for the first two or three weeks of family meetings and they will learn this is a good thing. And then the family meeting ends with allowance. Everyone in the family meeting has a job. There's a um, chair chairperson who runs the meeting. There's a timekeeper who makes sure we don't run over because you don't want a long meeting. The kids will never come back, right? 15, 20 minutes tops if you have older school age, 10 minutes if you have little kids. Um, we have a snack helper, you know, however many people you have. We have a secretary who writes down what happens um, with their little kids. They can tell a scribe, you know, adult who's writing down what they say. Um, and that makes everyone have a way to contribute. And we end with allowance. So, so there's a, a lot of really good things in there. Allowance is given unconditionally. It doesn't get taken away. It's not tied to chores. It's a way to teach our kids to manage their money. And, um, and they will spend it on junky plastic stuff that breaks, right, for the first few months. Right. And then eventually they learn, oh, I don't want to waste my allowance that way. Right. Yeah, they get their money and run to five below and they're happy. Right. So, right. yeah. Okay, so you're running, I mean, it's like you're running a family business. I mean, this is what it is. You're, and um, it sounds like there's a lot of benefit to it. So the people who are going, oh, my gosh, this is over the top. Well, why don't we just give it a shot and see what happens, right? What's the worst thing that could happen? Because you may be in your house, there's screaming or there's spanking or there's whatever. And maybe this other approach just might be a little bit better. Right. And the wonderful uh, thing is that your kids get a skill that is so valued in the workplace, right? If you can collaborate, if you can get through a meeting on time, that is such an important skill. Um, even I'm hearing from some of uh, the people who are at the parent encouragement program, one of the models that I wrote about, that their kids, when they go off to college, run, you know, meetings with their dorm room people in that same fashion. So, um, so it's a, just an important skill, not only for now, but for life. Yeah, that's great. All right. So what's the final thing that you want our dads to know um, just about, you know, discipline and, and today and helping your kids grow and get better? What do you want our dads to know? Well, first of all, um, I did want to mention that I have a four R's rule that came out of PEP, that program that I mentioned, where any consequence needs to be, follow the four R's rule. So it needs to be respectful, revealed in advance, reasonable in scope, and related to whatever action the child took. So that's yeah. a really good way of testing if a consequence is just a punishment in disguise. Um, what I would love dads to know is that in many ways, dads are so primed to implement all these new and improved 
discipline strategies because you don't have this um, as much of this parental or societal pressure to be that perfect mom. You know, a lot of moms have this connection to like how their kids look or what their hair is like, or, you know, all of these things are, are kind of often put on the mom's shoulders. But when dads are introduced to these tools, they adapt them immediately and they're so much better. It's uh, really annoying in some ways that I'll teach a, a dad some of these tools and I'll come back the next week and say, oh, I did this and there's no more screaming. And I'm like, it took me a year to master that. <laughs> so, and I think, um, you know, dads are so involved. Dads are so much more engaged with this generation of kids. And it's really vital to our kids' mental and behavioral health. So I guess my message is just you have such an important role to play. Embrace it. You know, you can just create a new mode of being dad because you don't have millennia of, uh, you know, programming or ideas about what it means. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of the golden age of dads right now. That's awesome. Well, and we're going to have your husband on a podcast coming up soon. He's agreed to do it. So we'll hear what really happens in the house, I guess, right? Um, the book is The Good News About Bad Behavior, Why Kids Are Less Disciplined Than Ever and What to Do About It. Catherine, where can people connect with you and find the book? Oh, well, the book is available anywhere books are sold in any format, audio, ebook, uh, paperback. And my website is a good one-stop shop. It's katherinrlewis.com. And you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram through there. I always love to hear from readers. I answer readers' questions. So if you've got a thorny discipline problem, please feel free to email, tweet, or Facebook me. And I um, would love to connect with anyone, any of your listeners. And James, thanks so much for having me on. Hey, hey, thank you for being on. So appreciate it. My pleasure. So many good things to think about from Catherine, and I'm, I'm so thankful she was on to share with us. Let's just hit the pause button for a minute if we need to and think about What's working in our house and what isn't working? I love the idea of the family meeting, and I do. I feel like it might be a little funky, might be a little awkward in the beginning, and I think if it gets us in a rhythm and uh, gives us the ability to connect and communicate and collaborate, like she said, just imagine how that helps with problem-solving and various decision-making stuff down the road. All right, well, let's wrap up the way we wrap up every episode of Positively Dad, and that's with a visit to the Kids' Corner. And this is where our eight-year-old second grader, Naomi, kind of shares her thoughts about whatever she's thinking. I just invite her to do this each week, and I don't coach her. She just kind of picks what she wants to talk about. And so let's find out what's on her mind. Here we go. Ever wonder what's on the mind of your children? Let's find out in the Kids' Corner with your host, Naomi. Hello, my name is Naomi, and today I will be talking about friendship and just ha having fun when your friends are at a birthday party with you. So I just had my birthday party, and all of my friends were there, and if you were one of my friends and you didn't come, I forgot about you. I, I don't know. There was a bunch of things in my brain. So I just want to tell you, kids, it is very, very fun to have friends. You can make friends by just talking to them, and when you talk to them, well, really, they, you might have a lot in common. That's it for now. It's going to have a great day. Bye. That's so sweet. And yes, she did have a really fun birthday party. And trust me, just about every friend was there. I remember from seeing the bill. All right. Well, I'm going to thank you for listening today. I trust you got some value out of our conversation. If you did, would you share it with somebody that you know that might get some value out of it too? You know, I found out recently that we are number 91 parenting podcast in the United States, number 77 in the UK, and number 15 in France. 
I don't know why. It's just we are. And it's because you share it with people. That's how people find out about us. So if you'd share it, that would be great. Also, if you would rate and review and subscribe, that would rock too. Five stars would be awesome. Write a little note about how Positively Dad's helping you. Um, and then subscribe so you never miss an episode. That would totally be awesome. Finally, connect with us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You'll find us just by searching Positively Dad. And then if you or somebody you know would be a great guest, send me an email, james at positivelydad.com, and we'll have you on. I'm James Shaw. Thanks for listening to Positively Dad. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.